it's almost counterintuitive to want to include more people. More cooks in the kitchen feels scary, right? But I, I genuinely believe that if we start collaborating more and really being intentional and not taking the easy way out and being like, I'll just write it myself or I'll just produce it myself, but bringing on others who might have closer ties to a community or who might be of lived experience, I think that that is a big way that we will see change. I think that it will not only affect the impact that projects have, but also make for more like commercially successful, culturally relevant, authentic content. Welcome friends to Exec Producer. I'm your host, Noah Pollack. Every episode of Exec Producer offers a deep dive into one of your favorite shows from the point of view of both the producer who dreamt it up and the executive who championed it where the idea came from, the hurdles they faced in selling it, and ultimately, how it made it to air and into popular culture. I've worked as an executive at four separate networks, and I've produced and overseen hundreds of hours of television. I've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly, and I hope to share some of that wisdom with you. So settle in, turn it up, and enjoy. And please also remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and follow us on Instagram at EP with NP. So with that, thank you again, and enjoy the show. All right, we're rolling. Welcome, everyone, to Exec Producer. As you know, the show started off talking about shows and shows only. And over the past couple of years of doing it, we've evolved into covering businesses and trends and all kinds of things that are relevant to the entertainment landscape of today. And this episode fits squarely into that bucket. It is with Elizabeth Voorhees and Noelle Lindsay-Stewart of Define American. To the people who come from the world of Unscripted, they may recognize Elizabeth. Uh, Noelle might be a little bit more new to to some of you, but the company they're with and their mission is incredibly vital to uh, just to to the world at large and certainly the entertainment culture of, uh, of 2020. Define American, and I'll read directly from their website, it's a nonprofit, which is a narrative and culture change organization that uses media and the power of storytelling to transcend politics and shift the conversation about immigrants, identity, and citizenship in a changing America. So Elizabeth Noel, thank you so much for joining me today. We're happy to be here. Thanks for having us. My absolute pleasure. Yeah, My thanks absolute for pleasure. So, um, you know, I just obviously read off the company mission statement there, but I think it would be helpful to hear, uh, well, neither of you is the founder of the organization. The founder is Jose Antonio Vargas. What the light bulb, what the spark was for this organization, uh, where it all began. So Define American was founded nine years ago by Jose Antonio Vargas, who is a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist, an Emmy um, nominated filmmaker, and a Tony nominated Broadway producer as of last year, actually. Um, And Jose founded the organization when he actually came out as an undocumented immigrant. Um, publicly in Time Magazine. Um, And when he came out as undocumented, he decided that he needed to found an organization to do advocacy work, uh, mostly in the news media side of things, because he was a former journalist for the Washington Post. And he saw the way that um, reporters were actually reporting on immigration and saw that there was a lot of room and uh, inaccuracy and a lot of room to like really further the conversation. Um, four years ago, which is why I think that we're here today and what we're here to talk about um, the entertainment side of the work, we actually launched a strategy in the entertainment industry to work alongside content creators, directors, writers, producers, actually even actors um, in the entertainment industry as they 
struggled to tell stories and narratives about immigrants and immigration. Um, it's a very complex issue, um, immigration, as everyone knows, and it's very difficult to, stay, uh, to understand a lot of immigration law. And we wanted to be there to help folks who are trying to tell those stories really get the accuracy piece right, but also understand how to best humanize uh, immigrants and the narratives that they were putting out in television and film. So that is sort of the mission, and that's kind of what we do on the day-to-day. Did I miss anything, Noelle? No, I feel like that covers it. Um, in addition to, I think, uh, not only just trying to make sure that uh, stories that are specifically about immigrants and immigration are told through a really uh, accurate and humanizing lens, we're also really trying to advocate um, and drive for change in the way that we tell stories around underrepresented communities in general. Uh, really trying to, you know, seed narratives. Um, and narrative systems that are really centered in dignity, um, in having agency over your own choices, um, and not kind of uh, treating people of marginalized experience as charity or like something, or people that need to be quote unquote saved, but really as folks who are ready to save themselves and just need the opportunity to like do so. The mindset that we really go into whenever we are going into writers' rooms or uh, going into students and networks to really talk about this is that um, we have no interest in producing more after-school specials. Uh, and we understand that this is the business of entertainment. And so at the, at the end of the day, you have to have a good story. Um, now, that being said, I think that there are plenty of there are plenty of incredible, great stories out there uh, that feature and center uh, marginalized voices or immigrant voices um, that are just waiting to be told. So maybe if, you know, I think instead of focusing on, oh, we just have to do a project about immigrants, because uh, we've seen that happen, um, and we've seen it not work, and the project's not really be as successful. Um, we also know that, like, there's a role to play when it comes to, uh, like, with marketing dollars uh, in that as well. So I think really coming in with a story that is just so strong that it can't be denied um, will... Oh, and then from there also making sure that like, how are you telling the story and who are you telling it with? Um, maybe you are not a person of that lived experience. And I don't want to be the person to say that, you know, that only certain people can tell certain stories, but I, I genuinely believe that like, you know, what you have to be willing to do the work. Um, if it's not your lived experience, maybe it's a co-write or maybe it's, a, you know, maybe you're bringing on another producer to develop and pitch this with who is of that experience and who has deep ties to that community. Um, how are you building out your, um, your staff then for that project as well? Are you, um, like if you're staffing your room, maybe you need to like do, be really, really thoughtful and intentional about filling that room with voices who are going to challenge you. Um, as a showrunner, as like the lead writer on a project. Um, with non-scripted, I think same thing, having producers and having, um, you know, staff that is not afraid to challenge you and not afraid to really bring their full selves to the table is really, really important. Right, and I, and sorry, to, I, Elizabeth, I don't know if you're about to add something, but to jump in, you know, you always hear these notions that, oh, you know, uh, this, this kind of community doesn't rate or this kind of, you know, movie doesn't mm -hmm. sell. And then all of a sudden Crazy Rich Asians comes out and everyone's watching it and disproves that entire notion, right? Black Panther, obviously, another very recent example that made, a, you know, incredible amounts yeah. of money, you know, that I think threw a lot of that quote unquote conventional wisdom, you know, right out the window and hopefully out of the window forever. Yeah, I think we sort of tell ourselves and each other these 
these myths, right? It's the same thing where, um, you know, talking to showrunners, we, we do a lot of work in the scripted space. We also do some work in the non-scripted space, but most of our work is in scripted. But, um, you know, uh, showrunners saying, well, it's, I can't find diverse writers. They're just not there. They, they don't exist. They're not out there. And then just doing a little bit of thinking outside the box about like what that diverse writer could look like or what that community that you can bring into the writer's room and how, how can you connect with community um, even beyond just hiring a diverse writer. I think that there's so many ways to figure that out. And I think it's sort of similar with, um, you know, networks and studios saying, well, that content, it won't do well. You know, we know it's not going to rate, it's not going to do well, but on projects that have taken chances like Crazy Rich Asians and Black Panther and so many others that I think, especially in the past five years, there's this building momentum around that work. Um, it's just about being a little bit more creative, I think, in the approach and putting marketing dollars behind it. Noel is so, so right that, you know, as we all know, certain projects receive the marketing dollars and the campaigns and other projects often don't. And so what's the kind of bureaucracy around that and how do we, how do we put weight as communities and as people and as organizers behind projects that need eyeballs um, and that really can help build that field out? So I do think we can't fall into the trap of like kind of these like myths of what works and what doesn't and myths of like what stories we're used to hearing and what stories people want to hear without really like doing some creative and innovative thinking and taking some chances and some risks. Well, Elizabeth, following up on, on something you said earlier, uh, you mentioned you work with scripted much more than unscripted. You obviously come from the world of unscripted. Is there a reason why you believe that is? Because, I mean, all types of facets and worlds of entertainment need, need help, right? And maybe unscripted might actually, I guess if I'm being fair here, probably has uh, put many more people of all types of everything, uh, you know, on, on television but not always in the most flattering of lights. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think we work with Scripted um, because we started the work there, actually. Uh, four years ago, we started working with NBC's Superstore. Um, and the way that project came about is that they had the first um, network primetime sitcom with an undocumented immigrant character, Mateo, who's played by Nico Santos. And when the character came out as undocumented on the show, we reached out to the showrunner, Dustin Spitzer, and said, hey, you know, we're a nonprofit organization that knows a lot about this. Would you ever want to chat? It was the first project we'd ever approached. And Dustin said, absolutely. Um, why don't we hop on the phone tomorrow? And at the time, I was two weeks into my job. I didn't know a whole lot about immigration, to be candid. I was just figuring things out. And I'd never worked on a, strip, a scripted show. I didn't know anything about the scripted world coming from being, you know, a reality TV showrunner and having a 15-year career in reality and non-scripted. Um, so I hop on the phone with Justin, not even knowing really how a writer's room operates. And I thought it would just be Justin and myself having this conversation and cut to me on the speakerphone with 30 writers in their writer's room. Their writer's room is massive, by the way, hmm. um, who had a million questions. And their, you know, their beginning question was, okay, so now we've gotten, we've revealed that Mateo is an undocumented immigrant. How do we get him his citizenship? And I did know enough about immigration to know that you don't is the answer to that question. And there is no pathway to citizenship in our country for undocumented immigrants. So really kickstarting, like, I guess, my career doing this advocacy work around the fact that there that that there's a lot of misinformation and, and we can't expect writers or non-scripted folks, producers to know everything about immigration and how our system works when it changes constantly, you know? Um, and there's so many like, uh, 
there's so many loopholes and there's so many um, things that are just kind of actually even unbelievable. And like the fact that people in the Philippines wait 15 years to even apply for a visa to come here as a tourist, things like that, that are just really, really, really um, that not commonly known, I guess. Um, and so for four years, we've really worked in scripted. We've worked on about 60 scripted projects in the past four years, both TV and film. Um, everything from Party of Five to we've been working on the CW's Roswell for a few years. Um, and in the non-scripted space, we've worked with projects like Selena Gomez's Living Undocumented for Netflix, where we come on in a consultant capacity, but what we're really doing is we're helping producers understand how to navigate shooting with people who are very high risk in general. So especially if they're working with undocumented populations, we want to make sure that they're handling it correctly, that they're not putting people in situations, you know, that are very real and, and maybe putting them at even higher risk for being detained or deported and those kinds of things. And just also understanding, being really like sensitive to where they're at. So most of the um, non-scripted projects we've worked with have been less, I would call like reality shows, more in the docuseries um, vein or even just straight up documentary vein. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Noelle, since you are in charge of this entertainment initiative, do you find that, uh, you know, you're now in the incoming call business at all? Or is it still very much that you're squarely in the outgoing call business, you know, pitching what you can do for all these productions or? Oh, know, they... I mean, it definitely, I think, is more of incoming. Um, quote, you know, I have a, a colleague, uh, Yossi Mar, who is an incredible artist, and he always says, immigrants are so hot right now. It's like <laughs> a running joke because you know, this has become such a highly politicized issue, right? It's, we see it on the news. We hear you know, the president of the United States calling people rapists and criminals. And it's become probably one of the most like, I mean, it shouldn't be controversial, but kind of one of like the most hardlined uh, issues right now in the political divide. Um, and so, of course, I think because of that, creators are going to want to try to explore that in the, in the content that they're creating. Um, it's, that feels natural to me, you know. Um, but what I've realized with a, with all of those incoming calls is that there is just so much information out there, um, and the power that uh, what we see on in film and television can really have. Um, and I'm talking about like from really well-meaning writers and producers as well. It's not as though I think anybody who reaches out to us, it's because they care enough to want to get this right. Whether that be because they actually care about the community or because they don't want to get dragged, you know, I don't care either way. So long as we are actually getting, you know, having that impact of making sure that what gets to screen um, is inclusive and humanizing um, and, you know, and ethical. Um, so I would say definitely more incoming than out than outgoing these days. But I think where the outgoing work comes in is we do I do a lot of like cold calls, empowerment payment with people at more of the network studio and streaming platform level. So really trying to deepen those relationships so that it takes the burden off of individual showrunners and uh, creators um, to find us and to do that work and more so having it where it's almost, I mean, the dream would be that it's standardized that when dealing with underrepresented communities um, with, you know, highly politicized issues or social justice issues that um, they have that resource as a studio or a network to go to social justice organizations like Define American to really get that expert opinion, not just on how to depict it, but on what narratives are actually going to help progress and not hinder it. Is you're right. So victory or an ultimate goal for your, for your organization might be that just like a network or studio might say, 
here are the insurance companies we recommend that you speak with. You know, here are the social outreach organizations with Define American being number one, for, or exactly. at least for, for you know, your specific charge. Yeah, and I think that you know, we're part of an amazing uh, collective called Storyline Partners that is made up of other organizations, or staffers from other organizations who do what we do just around different issue areas. So whether that be um, like every town for gun safety on like uh, having more responsible depictions of guns and gun violence on screen or uh, the ACLU or uh, the Muslim Public Affairs Council, which deals a lot with like portrayals and depictions of Muslims on screen. Um, all of these orgs that are in Storyline Partners are really dedicated and committed to that work across issue areas and then also taking a really intersectional approach um, when there are storylines that affect, you know, multiple communities that our orgs all serve. So that definitely for me, like having that kind of be standardized um, and be standard practice would be amazing. Uh, that being said, we would need a lot more staff. <laughs> Um, but I, I also think that this is a growing field and that there's a lot of opportunity in this field for people who really want to work in entertainment, but have some type of, you know, be, have like a mission driven approach to the work um, and who are really passionate about culture change and the role that um, entertainment can play in changing hearts and minds. Um, so I definitely encourage people who've ever thought about it to like explore it more because I get so many job descriptions coming through my inbox and I don't know enough people to like point in the direction of those jobs. It's just, it's a really growing field. And I think a field that also needs to be diversified as well. Right. For sure. Yeah. I mean, how do we, how do you, how do we, all of us um, keep our foot on the gas? Right. Uh, and when things do become quote unquote normal again, and I mean that in response to COVID, right. And then we can go out and just go outside again and, and, you know, responsibly shoot, projects again and go and have friends again and all those kinds of things, you know, things are going, it's going to be a while most likely, and it's going to cost more money um, in the short term to do things properly. How, um, you know, how do you as an organization ensure that this incredibly vital work that you're doing remains top of mind? Well, I think one thing that's going to come out of this moment, right, is that we're going to see a ton of COVID related content, right? There are going to be a ton of stories about the pandemic. I'm, you know, I'm sure there's just going to be so many. Um, and what I really encourage people to do who are, you know, uh, ideating around something like that is to consider how COVID is affecting and how this pandemic has affected people who don't look like you. Uh, how has it affected people who don't have your safety net um, or your socioeconomic background or who can't move home with their parents if things get tough? Um, I just, I, I genuinely encourage people to think about it through that lens uh, because any issue area or underrepresented community, um, they're feeling, everyone's feeling this in really unique ways. And it's, it's only, COVID has only magnified a lot of the systemic uh, injustice that has, you know, been running rampant in our country since its inception. Um, so to me, I think encouraging people to do that and also encouraging people to, it, to, to share the credit, you know, um, obviously the goal for us all is to, you know, to make money and to, you know, maintain our own livelihoods and sustain what we've done. And also like collaboration, especially if you're a writer or like if you are working in development and kind of helping to bring like a concept, um, to that pitch stage and, and get it sold. Um, it's tough and it's, it, you're, 
it's almost counterintuitive to want to include more people, more cooks in the kitchen feels scary. Right. But I, I genuinely believe that if we start collaborating more and really being intentional and not taking the easy way out, being like, I'll just write it myself or I'll just produce it myself, but bringing on others who might have closer ties to a community um, or who might be of lived experience. I think that that is a big way that we will see change. I think that it will not only affect um, the impact that projects have, but also make for more like commercially successful, culturally relevant, authentic content. I also think in the, um, just to add in the reality, in the non-scripted TV space, um, there's so much work to do. And I think that we're seeing in this moment, we're seeing some of those shifts already, some of them related to COVID and some of them related to the uprisings for black liberation and all of that happening at once. And like some of the things that we're seeing is like that practices on set are changing safety practices and also um, maybe like more of a push towards unionizing and really taking care of like producers and people that work on those sets. Um, but the second piece I think as well is like we're seeing that like racist cast members are being fired and that like instead of actually just lifting those folks up as um, you know, and amplifying their voices because they're so like maybe out there and loud and crazy. Instead of doing that, which is actually really quite irresponsible, maybe the court of public opinion is calling them out. And so I think that can be a really powerful force. And like if people stand up and say, no, I don't actually want that person's voice to be loud and to be amplified in this way. And for us to really like put them on a pedestal when they're clearly like a racist person or they're clearly problematic in this way. I don't think that it will be a disservice to reality television. I just think it's something that's like necessary. We have to think about like the messages that we're putting out to millions of viewers every single week and like what we're trying to say. Um, and I think that that's been sort of a, a little bit of a missing component, not to tone anything down or to make anything educational, but I think you can still really make really great content and show people for who they are and call them out on their belief systems if they're problematic. And that's something that we don't quite do enough of, I think. Oftentimes. Yeah, I was going to say one more thing on that, um, that that really brings about is I think we have to be willing to go a little bit further with challenging audiences. I think that so often the response that we hear when going into studios and networks is, oh, we don't want to do anything that's going to alienate quote unquote heartland audiences, which is their way for saying white people in the middle of the country. Mm -hmm. uh, which one, it's not only white people who live in like non-urban, like, coastal centers. Um, but I think that at treating those audiences, um, it's actually insulting to me to those audiences to treat them as though like with kid gloves as though they can't handle anything, um, that is outside of what they know. Um, and I, I would encourage executives and people who are buying content, um, and, and buying projects to really you know, let's, let's be a little braver. Let's be ready to like push people. And obviously you're going to have to kind of tailor and be thoughtful about that. Um, but I would say, let's not be afraid to challenge viewers and especially in those heartland audiences. Cause I, I promise like people can handle it. So obviously for both of you, Elizabeth and Noel, it's your job to help educate people, to help make people better. Um, especially people who are in a, have an outsized influence on culture. Um, but there are a great many people out there who that is not their job and who are now um, being called upon to help educate uh, their colleagues, their friends, their, you know, just whatever their social media circle, what have you. And a big 
complaint that I've heard over and over and over again, at least anecdotally, is it's not my job to do that. Because again, that's what the two of you get paid to do, right? Um, other people, that's not what they wake up to do every day. They wake up to do whatever their regular job is. Yeah. And I will say, I feel lucky that I get paid to take on the burden of education where, um, particularly with like black friends and colleagues, um, who are working in entertainment are, I'm, you know, hearing about how they are now kind of being almost forced to take on the burden of educating their white colleagues and supervisors and all the way up to the executive level, um, in this moment. And I think one, it's kind of, you know, one of the reasons why I believe in what Define American does, right? Because even when it comes to um, production, I think that so often you will see um, marginalized people who are working in production, whether they be writers or producers or what have you, um, kind of being tokenized in that way to where, okay, we're working on this project. It's about immigration. Sherry's an immigrant. Sherry, like, you should know all, like tell me all of the stuff about immigration and you should know everything about it. And the reality is, is that unless you're an attorney who's working in immigration courts on a regular basis, like I don't expect you to be like the arbiter of all things immigration. Just like I don't expect, you know, black people who haven't um, received a deep and intensive education around black history to be the arbiters on like racial justice. And I think that's often like a really unfair burden that we put on people of color um, and people of marginalized experience. Um, but I think the brilliant thing is right now um, is that we have the internet and I really do. Um, there are so many incredible lists out there. I'm very big on self-learning. I was, school was never really my thing, but you know, I love self-learning. I just also encourage people to, um, you know, I think diversifying the content you consume, the art you consume, um, and what you are reading. And like one of the great things that I've seen out of this moment is there have been so many virtual panels and talkbacks and discussions. And I think that so often those are, it's almost a disservice that they're only really marketed to people in like these hyper woke spaces. Um, and how do we make sure that those, um, events are getting to people who are actually genuinely interested in learning and want to do better and want to know better, but maybe are a little bit um, nervous as to how or like afraid of doing the wrong thing. I also will say that like people are going to get this wrong at first. Um, and I think that progress over perfection is important. Is in, I think it's important to keep that mindset. Um, no one wakes up and all of a sudden is like, you know, Nelson Mandela was not born as the person that we know him as now. You know what I mean? Like people, there's an education that happens and we have to give ourselves the space to learn. But part of that is also sitting with the discomfort um, and not being afraid to acknowledge what we don't know or what we have gotten wrong. I think we've got to kind of normalize that like it's, we're going that people are going to get this wrong. Um, when it comes to the responsibility in entertainment um, and for people who say that's not my job, um, I challenge them to like lean into this moment. Um, I know that it's probably not necessarily like the job that you signed up for, but the reality is, is that 80% of the media that's consumed globally is produced here in the United States. You, at, I mean, the people on this uh, podcast right now, the people working in this field are the most influential storytellers in the world, in the world. That is like, when you think about it, like what a grand um, responsibility. And I would just like, I feel like that should be treated with reverence, right? Like that those stories that you create have an impact, you know, whether 
you're intentional about it or not. So how do we just get a little bit more intentional? Do I think necessarily that like certain non-scripted programming is going like, to now all of a sudden become like, again, an after school special, like, no, but I think that finding those small and very thoughtful and intentional ways that we can lean in um, and challenge audiences that's not going to take away from your brilliance as a producer or your brilliance as a writer. If anything, it's just going to push you to be better. Elizabeth, I have to imagine that the four years you've spent with Define American has made you uh, probably think back to some of the shows that we all worked on together that you did previously and maybe how you might have done things differently. Don't want to put you on the spot, but, you know, would you agree with that assessment? Yeah, I mean, to quote Spider-Man, with great power comes great responsibility. And I think when I was producing um, non-scripted television, I didn't really realize the power of the stories that we were telling. Um, but being a producer that for years and years worked on really female-driven content, everything from dating shows back in the day for MTV all the way through VH1 when we worked together, Noah, and then, you know, straight through female docuseries, Um and an ensemble cast female-driven uh, docuseries. For me, during that time, it was really about how we were portraying and representing women and what we were saying about those portrayals. You know, are women like catty bitches who are volatile to each other consistently and can't have a conversation without wanting to claw each other's eyes out in a really negative way? How are women supporting each other? Um, what is What are we saying about like things like motherhood? What are we saying about career and ambition? Um, all of these 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 things that women are organically talking about and love. Like, are we saying that women are dysfunctional and can't have happy relationships and need a man to tell them, you know, how to do that? Like, what are the things that we're saying to millions of people, um, you know, every week when these shows air? And I think at the time I also was, I was never in the camp where I said, oh, not my problem, not my responsibility, but I was certainly in the camp where I wasn't thinking about it, not actively. And then all of a sudden I was thinking about it. And then I couldn't stop thinking about it. And that's actually when I made the transition that I did in my career was when I was at the point where I couldn't stop thinking about it. And we've actually done some research at Define American um, to sort of track portrayals of immigrants because we're an immigration organization, but of immigrants and how those portrayals affect human behavior and human perception. And it's really, really striking. It's really, um, it's really real. And so I think if we're not thinking about those things as Producers, we're doing a disservice um, not only to the audience, but actually to ourselves as humans. Um, I don't think content has to be educational. We never approach our work from the educational lens. We never walk into a writer's room or work with um, non-scripted producers and say, okay, we're here to school you and we got an immigration 101 lesson. Here we go. We don't do that. It doesn't work. It doesn't work because people tune out. Um, some of the projects we've had the most success with have been comedies. Um, they're not worrying about educating their audience on this or this. They're just worrying about making people laugh and getting huge ratings. Um, but that content, again, in reaching like millions of viewers, it's important to think about what we're saying. Like, what are the messages that we're putting out there? Well, you hit on something else very interesting, which is that you, you pivoted because that voice in your head, you couldn't turn it off. Noelle, I don't know your story specifically, but I saw that you also worked in politics and, and had sort of a career that was not exactly this previously. And I hear it so much anecdotally, not just from listeners of the show, but friends and just colleagues of just, and I would imagine even that's probably even accelerating these past few months, people thinking they want to do something different, whether it's tell entertainment in a more responsible way or use these skills for some other sort of application or, you know, go and become a therapist or sell real estate or become a firefighter, whatever it is. I mean, what advice 
Elizabeth, we'll start with you because I know your story a little more specifically. Would you give to people who are really thinking about making that change but um, haven't quite taken that plunge yet? Yeah, I get a lot of calls as well um, from folks who have found me on LinkedIn or from who that I knew in my past life um, in reality television who are looking to like sort of make the change. And, you know, I think it's, I'm not going to lie and say that it's an easy transition. I think that there are things about working in the entertainment industry that are really great and things about working in production that are amazing. Um, the things that I miss the most are like that amazing group of crew and people that I was so close with hundreds of people over the years and traveled the world with and shot television with. And it was like, an incredible moment in my life and that I'm still friends with a lot of those folks, but that dynamic is gone. Um, also the salaries in entertainment and production are much, much higher than nonprofit work. So that's a big difference too. So I think you really have to kind of look at like the realities of what you're, what that transition can look like. And I also encourage people, like, if you're not ready to completely step away and like go back to graduate school, which is what I did, or start working for a nonprofit at like a quarter of your former salary and doing something completely different. I think there's so many ways to be an, what we call an entrepreneur within the industry, right? So how can you make those differences and changes? Because if you're working in production, you probably have some power and some leverage. So how can you make those shifts and changes on your show and on your production that you're working on? Are your project? Is that about like hiring more people of color? Is that about trying to be an advocate for your cast in certain ways? Um, is that about if you're, you know, a writer, like trying to make sure that your writer writer's room is diverse or that you're bringing in nonprofit organizations? Maybe just that like small step could be revolutionary in so many different ways. So I'd say if you're not ready to just completely pivot and leave your career, although I know a lot of us, even in the nonprofit space, would hang it all up and go like start a Christmas tree farm or something. I don't know, <laughs> like move to a teeny town, especially with COVID and everything else looming. But if you're not ready to do that and, um, and accept what that means, like both financially and just, you know, really having to start over, to be honest, um, I think there's so many things that you can do within your position of of where you currently are that can be, especially in this moment, that can really be incremental revolutionary changes. And we need that. We need the entrepreneurs. We need the people who are working at studios and networks at every level to be pushing for change. How about you, Noelle? How did you transition? And, and what oh, man. So my road has been a long and winding one. Um, <laughs> I actually first started, um, like, I guess the first jobs that I had were in production. I was a production assistant on like live televised specials like uh, the BT Awards and um, the Amaze and things like that, uh, working on a lot of Viacom things. And then also uh, for a &E Networks um, as like a production assistant and camera assistant on a lot of docuseries, um, uh, stuff that was coming out of like Discovery Communications, really shooting kind of around the DC area because that's where I'm from and where I grew up. Um, but I think like a lot of people in DC, there is, uh, when you grow up there, particularly like, I think, coming out of like uh, leaving college, there was a this kind of idea that you just kind of go work in politics and you're gonna just find the place that you exist within like the political sphere, which is very, very similar to Hollywood in a lot of ways. Um, I think it actually primed me perfectly for like making a shift. Um, but for me, 
it was just, I've always been a person who I like, I think I said before we got started, I watched an unhealthy amount of television. Like I genuinely believe that like the amount of television I watched growing up has shaped my worldview. Um, it's like, was the way that I was able to travel beyond kind of just like my suburb of Silver Spring, Maryland. Um, and so for me, I kept feeling like, oh, this is just like, no offense, but I was like, oh, this is just boring. Like the hill is not like, and particularly the time when I was working there, it was a time when um, the uh, Democrats were in the minority. So the congressman that I was working for, the issues that I was passionate about were you could work all night and work really, really hard. And there was just no way that it was going to make it through anything. And I was just feeling really tired and fed up with that. And I think that after a couple other pivots, I finally found my way to define American. And I was like, Oh my God, it like the light bulb went off. I was like, this is the way that making change makes sense for my brain. Um, this is the way that I can actually see myself being effective and making an impact. Um, and so I think my advice for people who are looking to make a pivot is, um, you're, you're really, really going to have to like explore. Um, and the pivot, the first pivot you make, like that first stop out of, you know, the career trajectory, the career trajectory that you'd previously been on, it might not be the final destination. You got to be ready to kind of like, just kind of whittle away and find out what you don't like in order to find out what you do. Uh, that's just been my experience. And now I kind of feel like I'm on this path that I didn't even know existed but now it's like, oh my God, I don't want to be anywhere else. Like this is, this is the train that I want to be on and I, it's great. Um, yeah. I have a couple of, uh, you know, of children and I read a stat that's, I forget the exact numbers, but you know, most of the jobs that young, young people like my children's age will have actually don't even exist yet. Right. So to plan for some specific future is a, is a fool's errand. So, well, and, and I always end my podcast actually, yeah with giving advice to your younger self and you guys just hit on a lot of advice, but you know, I guess my question first to you, Noah would be, you know, because you had this circuitous route, like, do you have regrets about some of those early choices? Or if you were, you know, 20, 20, you know, just right out of college, I used to say 25 year old version of yourself. So maybe a couple years out of college and you could go talk to her right now. Uh, what would you tell her? You know, would you tell her to look for the defined American right away? Or do you think that all the stuff you did with the AC work and whatnot, got you to where you are? I think I needed to take every step that I took. <laughs> um, I, you know, I took a lot, like I worked as a line cook for a while. I worked in hospitality PR. When I say it was like a long and winding road, like I've, I've never been afraid of a pivot. I will say that. Um, and I needed all of those steps to, I think, help me get to where I would even be equipped to do my job at Define Americans today. Um, but I would say, you know, it's okay to be afraid. And sometimes you just have to do some things afraid, like do it afraid and that's okay. And I would also say, um, don't let your pride get in the way of asking for help. Um, I am a Leo, like to my core. I also come from like, you know, very proud, strong, independent people. And I think for me, the mistakes that I did make in my career all had to do with me wanting to, with like literally everything around me being on fire and me being like, this is fine. I don't need any help. This is fine. And that is just like, it serves no one. Um, so I think, and feeling, sh feeling shame about needing help doesn't serve you and it doesn't serve your colleagues. Um, and if you want to be a true collaborator, you're going to have to be okay with being honest and sitting with that. You're not always going to get it right. How about you, Elizabeth? Any advice for, you know, any young grizzles out there? 
Oh yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. Grizzle, think, Grizzles of course are made a name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You introduced me as Elizabeth Voorhees, but everyone in production knows me as Elizabeth Grizzle, Grizzle <laughs> Voorhees. Um, yeah, I think the career for me and in general is not a journey is not a destination. Career is a journey, not a destination. Um, and I think that, yeah, it's okay to change paths and it's okay to change. And when you know in your heart that you need to do it, don't wait 10 years to do it. Um, I think I waited probably 10 years after I was really having serious thoughts about leaving production um, to leave. <laughs> and at that point, you know, I was so far along in my career that it made it a lot harder because I was so established. And again, you know, I was like, enjoying certain things about that. And I had an executive producer title and I had, I was making good money and all those things. And I think if I had really thought about it earlier and kind of knew what I wanted to do, which was always the hangup for me, um, I probably would have left sooner. So I would say, don't, even if you don't know what you want to do or where you're going to end up, don't let that hold you back until you figure it out. Cause you may not actually ever figure it out. You might just need to try. And then the other piece, which is just like such a constant for me is mentorship. Um, look for your mentors. Like, don't be afraid to ask somebody. Um, I have had the most incredible mentors throughout my career, both female and male. And I would not be where I am today without them. And I just think that like, as a young person, like find those people that you connect with and don't be afraid to ask the dumb questions. Don't be afraid to ask any questions because they want to help. But sometimes you have to be, you have to put yourself out there um, to ask for the help and, and be afraid of that rejection, but just do it anyway. Because those people will be with you through your whole life and can really help guide. Well, you both are wonderful and I'm sure will serve as excellent mentors for whoever, you know, uh, reaches out to you that, that you, that you deem, uh, worthy, worthy of that role. So I thank you. I, I hate to keep going back to this word, but I just can't think of a better one. The work you're doing is vital and it's necessary. And, uh, you know, I just hope that we're in a place that people actually need to find American less <laughs> than they currently do. <laughs> But not that I want you to be out of business, but that obviously that we're doing work, that people are getting it. No, the day that Define American is obsolete will be a good day. Exactly. Be a great For day. sure. Exactly. So uh, let's hope that that happens sooner rather than later, but that you guys also have something else lined up. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just jump back into production. It'll be fun. <laughs> it's always there. It's always there. <laughs> oh, beautiful. Thank you both so much. Uh, please go back to helping others and uh yeah i just thank you for your time thank you Thanks, Noah. all right be well so there you have it the true story of define american thanks to greg mercer for creating our show art and to chris carmichael for composing our music and for all things technical you can find their respective work at gregorymercer.com and christophercarmichael.com thank you as well to our guests elizabeth Voorhees and noelle lindsey stewart and to my wonderful family for all of their help and support also Please do subscribe to Exec Producer wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Instagram at EP with NP. And since collaboration is at the heart of this project, I'd love to hear from you, the listeners. Please reach out with what you liked, what you didn't like, and any ideas for future episodes. So thank you again for listening, and please come back next time. I'm your host, Noah Pollock. Choose kind.